up against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And he took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon the king of Moab eighteen years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon the king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man, and when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded, Silence. And all his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly. And the dumb came out. And Ehud went out into the porch, and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him, and locked them. When he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them. And there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sarah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, Follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies the Moabites into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel. And the land had rest for 80 years. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this night. Thank you uh, for worship. Thank you that we can gather here at the University of Maryland in freedom. We thank you for this place. Bless this campus, this school. Bless our time looking at your word. We pray your spirit would be here with us. In Christ's name, amen. So tonight begins our uh, little series going through some of the chapters in the book of Judges. And uh, Judges is kind of where Saving Private Ryan, Braveheart, and The Walking Dead all kind of converge. And it's a biblical, these are biblical stories. These are rated MA, mature audiences. There is blood, there is guts everywhere, and there is dung that has come out. This is Judges. Okay, now, um, I say that because the Bible is real. The Bible is true to the way things are in life. It's, it doesn't try to, like, sugarcoat. Because the main issue, the main uh, issue that's going on in Judges is really the sin of the people of Israel. One of the key phrases that you see throughout uh, the book of Judges is everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So the context here is uh, Israel has somewhat conquered um, the Canaan land through Joshua. So Joshua is right before this. Joshua judges Ruth, okay? And so now we Joshua has just died. 
And what we're going to see throughout Judges is that the people go through these cycles of sin. And they, uh, for a while, they're doing really well. And uh, God has brought a deliverer. And then they slip into idol worship. And they worship the idols of the nations that are still there in the Canaan land. And they go into bondage. And then they cry out to the Lord. And God sends and delivers with a judge. And so that's kind of the cycle we're going to see again and again. We're not going to go through the entire book. But we're going to, go, we're going to give you a picture of what it's all about. And so tonight, as we think about um, this passage, though, I want, to, I want to say first off, too, that the reason why Israel kept going into um, these sin cycles is because of idolatry. And uh, we're going to talk about Baal worship in a, in a little bit. But you might think, oh, Chris, come on, like that's like ancient Baal worship. You know, they're worshiping stone, they're worshiping these figurines and that sort of thing. But here's the thing. In the Bible, um, idolatry is not just some statue out there that the ancients worship. But it is things, is anything we place uh, above God. It's worshiping status. It's worshiping money. It's worshiping GPA. It's worshiping people, relationships, money, power, sex. And so that's why this book is very appropriate because the people of Israel in the time of Judges are very much like me. They're very much like you. And they are in desperate need for deliverer. And that's what Judges is all about. Showing us that these people are in some serious uh, problems. And unless God works, unless God delivers, they're going to be undone. And so um, I hope you're excited. It's a great, it's a great book. So you should read along, um, you know, over these next few weeks as we look at these stories. Because there's some crazy, horrible, awful stories in here. And so and this is one of them. And so I want to just um, open tonight saying... Why does God raise up judges in the first place? Why does God raise up judges in the first place? And the reason is, number one, because God remembers his covenant with his people. Okay, because God remembers his covenant with his people. If we had, a, if we had more time, we would have read all the way through chapter 1 and chapter 2. But I don't know if you wrote that verse now. Okay, yeah, go ahead with that verse. So... One of the things that you need to understand about the Bible is this idea of covenants. It's all over the scriptures that God relates to his people in covenant contract language. Okay, it's all the way back in Genesis. He comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to make my covenant promise to you. To some extent, it's kind of like a contract, but it's like an uber contract. It's a contract that's sealed in blood. Okay, and so God is relating to his people with these promises, even all the way back with Adam and Eve. But what he says in the beginning of Judges is this. Now, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. You can all you can hear the this is the promise. He swore this land of Canaan. Right. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. And so there's this 
tension throughout the scriptures, throughout the Old Testament, where God makes his covenant with his people. And he says, he says really to Adam and Eve right in the beginning, he says, um, the covenant was this, don't eat of that tree in the middle of the garden. And it was a covenant of works is what theologians call it. If they would, if they were to obey, they would be with God forever, paradise. We wouldn't have any of the problems, death, ecological problems, social problems, cancer. We would be in paradise. But our first parents broke the covenant. And they went against the Lord. But here's the thing. Right in that same uh, chapter 3, God promises, makes a covenant of grace with him and says, Listen, I'm going to take care of this problem of sin. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And so this is the gospel in a very seed form to, to Adam and Eve saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to take care of this problem. Through the woman, there's going to be a seed. And it ultimately was the beginning promise to that would point forward to the Lord Jesus Christ being the covenant keeper. And so all through the Old Testament, you have God coming to Noah and making a covenant. You have God coming to Abraham and making a covenant. You have God coming to Moses and the people of Israel and and David. And so you just can't get away. You know why? Because he is promising that ultimately he will be their deliverer. And it finds its ultimate fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. The seed of the woman who crushes Satan. Okay, I'm giving you big picture ideas. But if you want to know, well, why didn't God just let Israel be destroyed? Because he said... I will never break my covenant with you. I will never forget you. You will be my people. I will be your God. They will go through cycles of sin. They will run away. And God's everlasting loving covenant will continue. And he will continue to love his people and bring them. And so this is why he sends judges. Um, and so this is, this is a glorious truth that... Uh, that God is a covenant-making God. He loves His people so much. And in the Bible, the covenant is always with blood. It's always with blood. And so we, we saw that with even in, back in the garden. You know what happened after they sinned? The Lord, the Lord killed an animal in order to give coverings of skin to cover their shame and nakedness. And so even, even that was dealing in a very small way of this idea there needs to be bloodshed when there's sin. And so the covenant con- contract is how God is dealing with Israel. And because of his covenant, he heard the cry of them in bondage. And so um, one of the things that, that I want to point out too is he sends judges because there's always a mediator of the covenant. There's always someone who's going to come in and save the day. You know, you ever wonder why we have so many, like, superhero movies? Like, you ever wonder, I mean, we want, we went and saw Doctor Strange. Is it Doctor Strange or Doctor Who? Who was it? Doctor Who? Huh? Doctor it Strange. was Doctor Strange. And last week, we went and saw Doctor Strange. It was a great movie. Um, but have you ever noticed, just like, they just keep remaking all the comic, all the Marvel, all the DC things. Why? I think, I think people, we, we just want superheroes, don't we? I mean, that's kind of like deep in our hearts that we have this idea that we are stuck and we need rescue. Folks, that's a biblical thing. 
ultimately what God is doing through the scriptures is giving these foreshadowing type figures of heroes that come in and save the day and deliver Israel. And they're all pointing forward to the Lord Jesus. All these judges we're going to see are somewhat flawed. Some of them are really flawed. And they're, but they're pointing us forward to this ultimate judge, the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect judge who's going to deliver his people. And so what this says to us is God loves his covenant. He loves his covenant people. And he is going to send a hero uh, for us. He's going to send someone because we can't get out of the mess ourselves. We cannot get out of the mess ourselves. And so, so the, first, the first point here is just you can't understand judges or really the rest of the Bible unless you understand this idea of covenant. That God relates to his people covenantally. And the, the Old Testament will make no sense. The Old Testament will just seem like, are these just moral stories to follow? Do we just need to be like Ehud and become left-handed and make ourselves a sword and then we're going to use it, you know? Is that what God is saying? Is it just like a moral story, like Aesop's fable? Because that's how some people look at the Old Testament. Man, these are great stories, right? These are covenantal stories that are pointing forward to the ultimate judge, the Lord Jesus who's going to come. And so... Um, God loves his people, and these are all foreshadowing that great redemption that he's going to do. Secondly, why a judge? Uh, or uh, It's because we are in desperate shape. We are in desperate shape. And so as you look at this narrative, look at verse 12. Go back to verse 12. Um, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 14. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. So here they are. They're back in bondage. They're underneath another king. And the reason why, uh, if we go back to chapter 2, verse 10, you probably didn't put that on there. Did you put that on there? In chapter 2, verse 10, here's what it says. And there arose another generation of Israelites who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So basically, the book of Judges shows that a new generation comes on the scene and they do not know the Lord. Now that knowledge of the Lord is not the fact that they didn't understand that, that Yahweh existed and that he led them out of Egypt. They had, a, they had an intellectual knowledge, but the biblical knowledge of knowing the Lord they did not have. And what, what that is, is that deep Knowledge where you're conscious of who God is, who He is and His character of holiness, and who you are as a sinner, and that you need that God to be your Lord and your Savior, or else you're doomed. And so it's a, it's very much a God consciousness of I'm living my whole life in view of this God. This is the God I know. Israel did not know the Lord like that. They knew intellectually. They were around all the Lord's things, but they really didn't have a soft heart for the Lord. And so they slip into idolatry. They worship uh, the Baal gods. And so this is this this we should take heart because we can be all... You may have grown up in a church. You may have grown up in a Christian family. But your heart can be hard. I grew up in a Christian family. But a lot of times you look at my heart, it's like, man, my heart is hard today. I don't care about people. I don't care about the Lord. I'm not even praying. And 
what, what we do is just <laughs> repentance. Lord, help me. Lord, forgive me. You know, there's a scary, I, I call it a scary verse where Jesus, I think it's in Matthew and Luke, where people come up to him and uh, they say, like, Lord, Lord, we, like, you know, we did, uh, we prophesied in your name. Lord, Lord, we, like, did miracles. Lord, Lord, we did RUF. Lord, Lord, we, we did all these great things in your name. And you know what Jesus said? Get away from me. I never knew you. Now, that is a scary verse. They, they were around the things of God. They thought they knew God. But he's saying, I never knew you. Why? They never really had that soft heart of repentance. They never truly understood the gospel, their sin, who God was, that they needed a Savior. And, and so the same thing is going on with Israel uh, back here. This should sober us, but also there's hope. Okay, there's hope. Obviously there's hope. But it should sober us because Israel just came, came over the, uh, you know, the, the Jordan River. They had seen God do amazing things, you know, take down the walls of Jericho. They walked, you know, they walked, marched around seven times, blew the trumpets, and the walls fall down. I mean, time and time again, they're seeing miraculous conquests of these cities. Uh, they're seeing God go before them and win victories. They're seeing God at work. But yet, it didn't carry over to the knowledge of the Lord for this next generation. Okay? And so, that should humble us and sober us and scare us. Now, why was, it, why was Baal worship so attractive? Okay, because basically what's happening is these Canaanites are worshiping Baal, as you can see in, uh, uh, I, I guess, in that, in that earlier, earlier portion. But basically, what is Baal worship? Baal worship involved basically uh, shrine prostitutes. It was basically a sexual uh, religion. And here's how it worked. But Baal God was the male, and he was the storm God. And Ashtaroth was the female counterpart to Baal. And so basically, what was how did people prosper back then? It had to rain. In order to have crops, in order to have cattle, in order to grow, in order to make money, right? So they believed that the Baal God was like basically the storm God of fertility. They believed that the way that they could call on Baal was if people engaged in, in these sexual, basically, basically like orgy parties at the temple. So this is why Baal worship was so attractive. And so hard for Israel to stop. I mean, you look at the sexualization of our culture, right? And the issues that we have. So Israel, to some extent, so basically they'd go to the temple and they would engage in prostitution and sexual relationships with the temple prostitutes in order, that was like their prayer language to call Baal to reign. You follow me? Okay, so this is how... This is how popular this religion is coming and how, you know, God has made us sexual beings, right? There's a good, sex is amazing, beautiful, wonderful, awesome gift of God within the context of marriage. But Satan loves to twist it, as you can tell in our culture, and, you know, he uses any kind of means, but it's such a big part of us, our sexuality. Such a big part of us. And so here we have a whole religion that's built on sex, and you have the people of Israel falling into it. 
And it's taking them down. And they're going against the Lord's will and they're worshiping. And the thing is, it was, you know, in the Old Testament, it's always not, it's always dualism. They were worshiping Baal and Yahweh. Judges is not just like, okay, they've totally forgot Yahweh. No. It was very much a divided heart. Part of it was Baal worship. Part of it was like they were probably still trying to do the Yahweh thing too and serve the Lord. And so a lot of the Old Testament is Israel goes into these nations and they marry uh, the nations that don't believe in Yahweh, the Lord, God. And these nations take them down into idol worship. And so um, this is the same thing we struggle with. Right? We have divided hearts. We have hearts that like one day we can be serving the Lord. The next day we're looking at pornography or something like that. One day we can be um, just, you know, sharing our faith, praying, and the next day we're cheating on a test or something like that, or or we're just having um, horrible things to say about someone. We have divided hearts. We have simple hearts. And so uh, Israel was, this this is what it means to know the Lord. It means that we recognize those things, we're repenting of those things, we're living, and we're living after the Lord more and more. In our life, and we're repenting of our sin daily and saying, I need you. And he gives us victory over those issues, over those things we're struggling with. But Israel had just become in bondage to them. And so, um, before I go on to the last thing and talk about Ehud, uh, a good prayer is this it's in Psalm 139 Search me, O God, know me, try me. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of truth. Uh, Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart of man is, is deceitful, it's wicked, above all things, who can know it? That our hearts are sinful and like we're blinded by it. We're blinded by our unbelief, we're blinded by these things. But God is the one who searches the heart and reveals that. So that and so David is praying this prayer, search me O God, know me. That's a great prayer to pray. God, know my heart. Lord, I want to know you deep in my heart. Pray that. Pray that he will reveal himself to you and his grace to you. Because that's what he does here with Israel. He brings a very unusual judge, Ehud, the left-handed man. Any left-handers out there? All right, there's a few of you. That's good. That's very good. Okay, now, what's up with this guy, Ehud, the left-handed man? Now, um, it's interesting... He's, he's a, in the Bible, traditionally, if you're left-handed, you can't be trusted. I'm sorry. Uh, that, that you're weak. That, uh, you know, because we have like God talking about his right hand, you know. He saves with his righteous right hand. Like, Jesus is on the right hand of the Father. Like, God is right-handed. He's a right-handed pitcher, okay. He's, he's strong with his right hand. And so... Biblically, for some reason, this left-handed thing is kind of deceptive. This is a deceptive. This, even today, we kind of think that. Like a left, like I played baseball, left-handed pitchers, man, they're hard to figure out. Okay, because most people are right-handed. Left-handed, if you, you talk to boxers, left-handed boxers are really hard to figure out too. They're tricky, right? And so, but we have this kind of uber left-handed man. Now, it's thought maybe he had a disabled right hand. Okay, maybe his right hand was deformed, maybe it was disabled. 
but he becomes the one that Israel sends with this secret message to the king. And typically back in the day, the, the warriors, they were all right-handed, and they would put the, the sword on their left hip, and they would draw a cross to fight, right? So you can kind of think, how did Ehud get in there? How did he get into the king's presence with a sword, you know, an 18-inch sword on his right on his right hip? Well, it's because he was probably deformed in the right hand, and they automatically saw him, and they're like, there's no problem. He gets right through security. They pat him down, you know, on the left side, like, no problem. There's nothing there. He's, he's deformed. There's no threat. Well, because of that deformity, because of that disability, he is able to get in uh, with the king. And so it's kind of an interesting thing. He's in there with the tribute. So this is all a ploy. He comes with the, with, with the money to try to make peace with Eglon, right? They all leave, but he's able to go back in uh, to the king. And now it says he's in the cool chamber. I don't know where that is. But basically, he is in the outhouse up on the roof. Okay, so he is in the bathroom, and he is taking a number two uh, in there. But Ehud comes back with the message, and since he's no threat, he comes right in. Like, what is the message? And then he grabs the sword from his right side, thrusts it in to the king Eglon, and... It says that the dung came out. So now we know it's we know it's the chamber because his assistants they did not want to go in there, right? And they they kept waiting until they were embarrassed. I think it says, right? Causing uh, the cool chamber. They didn't want to go in, like you know. Well, they finally go in. They see that their king is dead. Their king is dead. And so, how does this relate to Jesus? Right? Because that's what we always need to do. How does Ehud relate to it? Well, he relates in this way, I think. You know, Jesus was unexpected. Jesus was unexpected. In Isaiah 53, it says he was despised. He was rejected by men. People looked on him and they said, this is ugliness. And he becomes the one who takes down Satan, sin, our enemies on the cross. He comes into Jerusalem on a colt, a donkey's foul, right? He comes in poor. He comes in poverty. He comes to a poor couple who aren't even married. He comes unexpected. Everyone in Israel is thinking, oh, when the Messiah comes, he's going to come in and reign as a king. Instead, he comes as a humble servant. He comes as a suffering servant. And ultimately, this suffering servant gives the death blow with the sword to Satan and to death and to sin. And so, Ehud is a very small little type of the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, it says that we need a deliverer. There's no way we can deal with sin, male worship, weird sexuality stuff for our culture, stuff we deal with, unless we go to that Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and say, help me. Because I am in deep doo-doo, and I need you. I'm going to close with that. Lord, thanks for tonight. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you that you are uh, this unusual king uh, who saves a sinful people for yourself.
Thank you for this little picture of Ehud and how he is a pointer and how you delivered Israel and how you'll deliver us just by faith in you. And we thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. We're going we're gonna to close with a song. So let's rise. <laughs> We're going to continue with this, uh, so this gross interview thing about a fountain filled with blood. Great. Uh, so, yeah, we just, uh, we just heard about, um, we've been singing lots of songs and praying about like, depravity and, and uh, you know, the fallenness of man, how we're all so sinful. And uh, now we, we're going to sing about Jesus. We're going to sing about how, uh, because of his blood, um, because of his death on the cross, we're going to be saved. So uh, this is a great old hymn. There's found building for sure. There's a Yeah.